God is good, isn't he? Isn't he always good? Isn't God always good? He's always good. Come on, just say it. He's always good. Maybe your, your mind needs to hear it. Your spirit knows it. Come on, your spirit man was redeemed by Christ. Your spirit man is refreshed and touched instantly by the blood of Jesus. It's redeemed. It's sitting with Christ instantly. It's your mind here on earth that struggles. It's that human soul mind, right? And sometimes your mind just needs to hear it from the spirit man within you. And you might feel like you have to force yourself to say, yes, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. And uh, sometimes we have to do that. Uh, I love when it just comes out of pouring out of our hearts in freedom and in life, but sometimes you just have to push yourself through, and you have to know. You have to choose to believe God's Word. You have to choose to believe that God is for you and He's not against you, even if you think He is. You know, if Jesus were to have looked at God on the cross, right? If He were to have looked at God on the cross like we probably would, when God promised that he would be with us, and suddenly it seems as if he's forsaken us, even Jesus on the cross, don't let it be forgotten that even Jesus, really to go to the place to cover our sin completely, uh, he had to be completely driven to the place of even where he thought, I'm forsaken by God. God did not forsake him. Right? He did not forsake him. He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And it was very quickly that he breathes his last and is in eternity forever and ever, and we're there with him. Amen. But there is uh, this place in our humanity. There's a, there's a, a, a part of us that, um, that stubborn, rebellious, human part of us that strives with God that had to be crucified, that had to be put on the cross. Jesus took your place, but he had to represent that place, and it had to be driven so far that it, it was driven to the place where uh, it was so far from God that even Jesus on the cross uh, felt forsaken for a moment. Because that's how far that, that part, that, that's how far your soul, your human, your mind is from God. It is not from God. When we were born into this earth, unfortunately for us, for the time that we're in, it's only for a short amount of time, but for this time that we live in, we were born into a sin nature. We were born as products of our parents, 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 and so on, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And I, you can't blame Adam and Eve because I always say if they didn't do it, you and I would have. It's only a matter of time that if it wasn't Adam and Eve, one of us would have already eaten of the fruit and we would all be in the place that we're in anyway, right? So we can't blame them. But we inherited a, a flesh, a human nature that's not of God. It's not of God. And Jesus didn't just take your sin on the cross. He also took that man or woman within you, <laughs> took that flesh, that soul, that mind, that part in you that strives against God. Come on, do you know we strive against God? You're not supposed to, but who is aware of that? Has anybody ever strived against God? Okay, we do. We're not supposed to. But, you know, striving against God is as simple as just doing our own thing. We'll go, I believe in God, right? So much of the world, so much of even our Western world says, I believe, I believe. I don't do anything he says, but I believe. I obviously don't believe him much because I don't listen to him, but I believe. And that's that soul, that's that human part of us that's in all of us that is warring. We call that the flesh in the Bible. We call that the, the soul uh, a man that strives against the spirit man, that war against the spirit man. That is a part of us. But that man or woman in you was put on the cross with Jesus Christ. When you received the blood of Jesus, you weren't just put on the, uh, on the cross with Christ and then resurrected with Jesus and sitting at the right hand of God. You know that you are sitting at the right hand of God right now. 
I know you think I'm sitting in this room, but you're not. Just your body is. Your spirit man is sitting with Christ because I believe the word. I don't believe my natural eyes, which say, well, it looks like I'm standing on this earth right now. My word says that we died. Come on, say, I died. And I'm sitting with Christ. So that means that this human part of you, this mankind part of you that is on this earth, um, is not the real you. And yet, in time, here you are right now. So that means that if you are sitting with Christ, then the human part of you, the mankind part of you, the mind part of you, must submit to Jesus. That has to happen in us. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it happened already in the spirit and outside of time. But in this natural world, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens through the conquering. Come on, who has conquered many things? Has anybody conquered anything that the Lord put in front of you that said, hey, I want this thing out of your life now. I don't want you to deal with this thing anymore. I don't want you to talk this way. I don't want you to drink that thing. I don't want you to smoke that thing anymore, etc. Etc. Who has done that? And that is a process. That is a walking out. I don't ever judge a person in their process. If I ever did, I've repented of that. As a pastor, I've learned that we are all on journeys and we're all in a process. I don't care where you're at in that process. All that I care is really one thing, is that your eyes are on Christ. It doesn't really matter because, you know, one day you're a baby and one day you're an 85-year-old man. And I can't judge a baby for crying, okay? But I can judge a 50-year-old who doesn't want to go to work in the morning for crying. I'm not going to judge him, but you get my point. All right, there's a difference. So the Lord, when he redeems us, when he rescued your spirit instantly and set it in Christ, set it instantly, the human part of you, the mankind part of you, began a journey. Say, I began a journey on this earth. Okay, outside of time, it's already done. I know it's hard for our human minds to get it, but it's already done. When God uh, spoke through the prophets... He didn't even tell them of something that was going to happen. He told them of things that already happened. I know our mind is like, whoa, what does that even mean? But God's not in time. So how does he talk about something that's going to happen if he doesn't live in time? It just hadn't happened in our time. Say our time. But it was already done. So this is the amazing thing, and it can actually give you as a believer amazing confidence to know that even though you're on a journey, and even though there's, there's valleys and there's mountaintops with God, and we don't like being in valleys, we don't like going through things, we love the mountains with God, but it can give you an amazing confidence in your Christianity. It should not give you confidence, comfortableness in your sin, but it should give you confidence to know that, uh, that the Lord has already seated me with Christ, and that uh, he's going to get me through this, and he'll get me through that, and he's going to keep bringing me all the way to the end. That should give us an amazing, the Bible calls it a hope. Should give you a confident hope, the Bible says. But nonetheless, everybody say nonetheless. nonetheless. We are still in real time right now. Today, you're in time. And we need to walk like Jesus walked instantaneously, even though you're human man seems to be coming along for the ride for longer than he's welcome. Somehow, we need to reflect Jesus instantly and yet still continue to deal with everything that the Holy Spirit has us dealing with throughout this entire walk. Amen. Does that make sense to anyone? I've been speaking about this is going to be part five. I've been preaching about this uh, for the last month. I began it the last week of January, and it's this idea that we are human. Everybody say we are human, and yet we are not only human, right? We are supernatural human. 
Right? Benjamin last week said he, we are, are naturally supernatural, which I loved hearing that. I love that, you know, from across the world, without talking about sermons that I was already preaching on something, and then he says it, and I just love that the Holy Spirit confirms that, that we're all, because we're all one, aren't we? Jesus said, I pray that you'd be one. So countries and oceans in between don't mean anything, because we're one. So I love that, and this is, this, this is what the Lord is trying to get into our hearts today, and I'm, I'm just going to springboard from last week's sermon, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, uh, for two weeks ago rather, but this is uh, from part 4 to part 5, it says, we are human, everybody say, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. You may know it as, right, we're flesh, but we don't fight in the flesh, because we're spirit people, all right? We are in a human body, but we are not warring and fighting as humans do. We don't, uh, we, it says, verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons. Everybody says, God has mighty weapons. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that God has mighty weapons for you? Do you know that God used mighty weapons against you? <laughs> You know, just the fact that you are sitting here and that you believe God's weapon of his word. Did you know that his word is a weapon? Tells us in Ephesians 6 that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. It also says that Jesus, who is the word of God, everybody say Jesus is the word, right? And it says that a sword comes out of his mouth. What is the sword? It's the word of God. Do you know that God used his weapons, these mighty weapons against you at some point? That's why you're sitting here. His weapon of his word, it at some point, uh, and maybe you're not fully through it yet, you need to come, keep coming through it today, and verse 5 starts to talk about a little bit more of that, but he used it to cut your pride. Who knows you have to be humble to receive Christ? You cannot receive Jesus in pride. So he used his weapon of his word to break you, and some people have to go through hard things to be broken. Some people just need to be scared of hell. It's a different thing for each person, but at some point, your pride got lowered. The weapon of the word cut through your pride, and you humbled yourself and said, Okay, Jesus, I can't see you, and, uh, and I think I feel you, but some people feel you. Some people don't. Maybe that's goosebumps. Maybe I'm just cold. Maybe I'm just hot, but all I know is I need you. That's what we've done, hasn't it? I believe your word, I repent of my sins, forgive me, and I want to be with you forever and ever in heaven, even though the whole world tells me since I was born that I evolved from an ape, I choose not to believe their word, and I choose to believe your word, and so the weapon of his word uh, sliced through your pride and humbled you. And it says, so we use God's mighty weapons, we don't use pride, right? When a Christian's in pride, they're, they're more harmful to the world around them than, uh, than just being worldly. You'd be better off being worldly than be a prideful Christian because you're swinging a mighty weapon of God with, mixed with uh, the world. All right, I'm going to leave that there. But it says that God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. This is both within us, but also within our culture, within our churches, within our families. The Lord is doing a work constantly in us and in our time and, and so on to uh, destroy false arguments. And in verse 5, it says that his mighty weapons destroy Proud obstacles. Everybody say every proud obstacle. Or you may know it as every high and lofty thing. Everything that has set itself against God, God is going to slice and dice. Come on. Amen. Hey, you don't think it's going to happen. Eventually, every knee will bow. I always say you might as well bow now. <laughs> because at some point, you're going to bow. I'd rather bow now than be bowing when he makes me bow. Amen. Who can be thankful for that? Come on. That, I mean, that's when you just like, when you get a revelation of what grace is, what mercy is, and the fact that we've bowed now, 
it's like impossible. Uh, it's impossible to have pride when we get the revelation of what he did for us. It's impossible. It, 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 it is incredible. It's unbelievable what he's done for us. And we should never get old of talking about that. That's our testimony. In fact, that testimony, it says, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, it's not just the word of God, but it's what the word of God did in us and to us and through us. That's the word of our testimony, what the word did in us. There's power in that. And it says that uh, when that happens, it says we've overcome. It's the enemy is under our feet. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can keep you uh, down. Uh, you will do and be everything God said you will do and be. Amen. So God's mighty weapons, they destroy every proud obstacle and they keep, and it says that it cuts his weapons. Come on, this is how Christian, this is how Christians in here, this is how we're going to reach this world. We cannot do it in the flesh. We cannot do it in the natural. We have to know our God. We have to let God deal with us so that we are able to take that same weapon that he used against us to then use that. We don't use our own uh, flesh and our own abilities and our own strategies and our own special church programs, but we must use the weapons that he used against us, the word of God. That's what will do it. To destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, capturing rebellious thoughts and teaching them to obey Christ. That's what his weapons do. It deals with rebellion and it brings us into obedience. It says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, I just want to read some things very quickly, and I want to try to get somewhere. Anybody get anything so far? God's speaking to anybody so far. All right, Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 in the Amplified. Uh, it, says, it says, the people, everybody say, the people. Come on, out loud, let's all read this. The people. That's us. Everybody say, that's us. The people who know, let's read this together, who know their God shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploits for God. We are human, but yet a people that knows their God can stand strong, can stand firm, and have an outworking of God from you. Those that know God, even though you are people. Everybody say, we're people like other people, but we know God. There is zero pride in that. In fact, as I've already been saying, it not only humbles you, it causes something in you to bubble up, and if it's not bubbling yet, then just keep seeking God. Just keep seeking Him for the right heart. You can't even really truly, can we truly even have a heart after God on our own? We have to ask Him to deal with it. You just keep asking Him to deal with you internally so that you get to that place where a word burns within you. If you don't have the Word of God burning within you, if you don't have a desire to have an exploit of God's Word coming out of you, then there is a greater knowing for you then you don't know him the way that he wants you to know him. I'm not talking about heaven and hell. You're going to heaven. This is not a heaven thing. I've been saying this the last two months, we need to stop making Christianity about heaven and hell. Because, you know, Jesus saved them from hell, but then he sent the disciples out into a world. He could have taken them with him, couldn't he? But he sent them into a world to reach others. It was no longer a question about heaven and hell. The question of heaven and hell was for those that they were now going to go to and reach. I love the altar. And if you are in a place in your life where you need to get before the altar and you need to deal with God, then you need to do that. But that is such a low-level Christianity. We should be walking, just letting God deal with us constantly, instantly. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Not, 
Forgive me constantly, Lord, for the last three months or five years or ten years that I've wasted. And, and he does. He, thank God that he, brings, he welcomes us back. Who's thankful for his mercy and his grace that he does forgive you? But that's not really the life that he wants for us. It should be, yes, Lord. The Bible says that Paul was dealing with the Spirit of the Lord. And Paul wants to go to Asia. Who knows the story? Paul's like, I want to go to Asia. And says he tried to go twice, but the Spirit of the Lord restricted him. We don't know what would have happened in Asia because he doesn't make it there. But it says that the Spirit of the Lord uh, that restricts him from going to Asia, he ends up on a, on a ship, right? I've, I've preached on this before. I didn't plan on just saying, on talking about this, so I'll just tell you really quick. But he ends up on a storm uh, on a boat, and they get into what's called a Euroclidon in the Greek, and that's that swirling, whirling storm that comes from all sides, like a typhoon, right? Uh, uh, some sort of a or a tornado, you know, out there on the sea. They end up getting shipwrecked. They don't eat for two weeks. He ends up on the shore. He gets bit by a viper, and that's the Holy Spirit restricting him from doing what he wanted to do to go to Asia, and now the Holy Spirit's plan for his life is not very good in the natural, and yet something miraculous happens on that island. They said, you must be a sinner that you survived that shipwreck and now the viper still got you. And he says he just shook it off. And when they saw that he was still alive, he began to pray for some people and he began to pray and it's the, that whole community ended up getting touched by the Lord there. That's the life that we were meant to live. The arguing in, our, in, our, in, in the soul to the spirit should not be, should I sin? Should I listen to God? Should I do what I want to do? Should I do what the Holy Spirit wants? It should be, uh, uh, I'm going to go minister to that person today. The Lord says, no, don't minister to them today. I have a different day for them. I want you to go minister to them. That's the argument happening inside a man of God. Not should I just, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go on vacation and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go on vacation. No, Holy Spirit restricted him from going on a ministry trip. You get to a place of maturity, a place uh, in God where like the, the argument between the soul and the spirit, it's not, it's not even worldly anymore. It's like, well, who to minister to today? That's the place that we're meant to be. Come on, say that those who know their God will stand strong. They'll stand firm, and they'll do exploits for God. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, are we doing all right? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I'm just going to keep preaching. All praise to God, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is Paul who wrote this. So Paul, who experienced that, wasn't too offended to write this. And he said, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. The spiritual blessings are not money. It's not a house. Those things are irrelevant. I'm not saying you can't have those things or that God doesn't give those things, and I'm thankful that he pays my mortgage, but that's not even what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, a, a, a life that is no longer of this earth and a life that is no longer circumstantial. We cannot be tossed to and fro by our circumstances any longer. But the Lord is really trying to get this little, tiny, insignificant church. Come on, he loves us. Isn't that amazing that he loves us? The Lord's like, hey, I want you to get up and give a word in this little town that the world knows nothing about. I care about this town, these people right here. I think that's incredible. I'm amazed. That's, I'm like David before God so many times. I say to the Lord all the time, who am I that you are mindful of me? Like David said to the Lord, 
Who are we that you care? And he does care. And I'm telling you this morning, what he wants this church to get is that there is a greater level. There is a place for you to walk in with Christ. This is not some sort of weirdness. Come on, it's not some sort of you just point and your finger comes out with lightning and things blow up and Star Wars Christianity. I mean, there is a place in you where you are at peace with Christ, where you have settled it with God, where you are not arguing in anymore. You're not constantly at the altar repenting, although I have to disclose you again. If that's where you need to be, then be there. But you're done with that, and you're like, Paul, Lord, where should I go today? Uh, who should I minister to today? That's what I'm about. I'm not arguing anymore about can I do what I want to do that's fun and in the world and my things. I'm just, Lord, I'm trying to figure out where you want to use me today. If there's any argument going on inside me, it's where I'm going to be used today. Amen. That's that place. And the uh, book of Ephesians, Paul's writing, listen, I want you to get something uh, that you have everything you need. Say, I have everything I need. It's already done. You just, your human mind doesn't get it yet. And that's what I want to try to get to in these next few minutes. I want to try to get us to just a little glimpse of it today. It's just your human mind. It's your flesh that's keeping you back from that place. Because we're still judging by our circumstances. We're still judging by our feelings. We're judging by other Christians. We're judging by pastors and their failures. I met two Christians in one day this week. And uh, I don't want to get into a lot of it. Just very quickly, uh, two of them in the same day, back-to-back jobs. And I just... I was like, wow, one person's raving about this particular church. The other person's condemning that church that they were just raving about. Meanwhile, the second person doesn't even go to church anymore because they got offended about what their pastor did. And I just went home just broken. I didn't judge either of them. I just went home and I just said, Lord, Lord, there's supposed to be, there's something so much greater than that. Something so much greater for us. We're still arguing about the way we do things and what time we meet and how long we meet and, and the clothes that we wear and the music that we sing. And meanwhile, this, this world is going to hell. And we're arguing about such stupid stuff as Christians. And the funny thing is, it's not funny. I don't, have a, I don't know what other word to use. I guess the ironic thing is, meanwhile, with the second person I talked to, the devil used that stupid stuff when the person came out of church. I, I did share with him for some time, listen, you can be a Christian without church. I just don't think it's good for you, and I don't think that's the fullness of Christianity. I don't, I'm not saying it's a heaven and hell thing, but... Uh, I got, I'm not going to get into the fullness of that. I could talk to you after. you got some more questions about that. But I don't think that's the fullness of a Christian life. And really, it's dangerous. Because when I look at someone without some sort of... I don't care who it is. Just find the people in your workplace. I guarantee that you don't know about it. There's a Bible study going on at your workplace. And find that group and just be a part of it. We need that iron sharpening iron so that we be about something greater than just pointing our finger and judging the things we don't like about the church. And, and so anyway, uh, what ends up happening is it ends up quieting a person. It ends up making them... Uh, 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 their light darkness. I know that's like that's super harsh. Uh, again, I'm not saying that he's, that he's going to hell. That's for, certainly for not for me to judge. That's between him and the Lord. But Jesus said to us, "You are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it loses its flavor, its saltiness?" And so the devil's trying to get you back into your humanity. You became salt, and trying to get you to lose your saltiness, get you so, uh, whatever it is, so distracted, so flustered, uh, keep you stuck even at the foot of the cross, which is an amazing thing. We all started there, but just get you stuck there and stay in there, and a life of just like hanging at the cross and never getting up and taking what Christ did in you and giving it to anyone else. That's not what Christianity was about. It says... He begins to pray for them in Ephesians 1. Who loves the Ephesians prayers? 
begins to pray for them, and he just says, I began, ever since I heard about you, began to pray, verse 15, and there's some amazing things in there. We just don't have time, but I encourage you to go and look at Ephesians 1 and read through that prayer. Um, but he says in verse 19, he says, um, he says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. It says, I pray that you will understand, I'm going to say it again, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. The Amplified says, the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in, everybody say in, and for us who believe. That is what Christianity is about. I'm not talking about what it means to be saved. I'm talking about what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes we need to just, I don't like dividing lines, but sometimes we need to divide a line. Say, okay, salvation is settled. Let's stop arguing about that, and let's start talking about what it means to be a Christian. Verse 19, it says that it's the same mighty power. <laughs> the same mighty power. Let's go back to the NLT. The same mighty power. Verse 20 that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And we're still arguing about, Dan and I were joking if it's holy enough to wear denim or not to wear denim. I'm serious. You don't believe me. Uh, you can, there's certain television shows you can watch. Find out what the Christian approves of is, as appropriate clothing. I'm serious. And yet, when I read my word, Paul's like, I got to pray a prayer for you. I pray that you would realize this, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working inside you. And God wants to work that out through you. And you are still wondering if you have done enough services that you can now, can, all right, have I been to enough Sunday services that I can skip one? Have I read enough in my word that I can get away with skipping a day? And Paul's praying, I pray that you would realize that the power that raised Jesus from the dead wants to try to get outside of you and you're you're restricting it by letting the enemy keep you in this earthly, humanistic life. Not only is it the power that raised him from the dead, listen to this. I think it should be read. Maybe you've read it many times. I think it should be read again. It's not just that the power raised him from the dead, but this is the power that's in you and, wants, and that God wants to work through you. It's the same power that raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of God, and it says, at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, verse 21, and it's that same power that put him, it gave him authority. It, it put him in the place of authority, or power over every authority, every power, every leader, anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. There is nothing and no one that can stop you. That doesn't mean that you won't die. You don't know what your spirit man did for the Lord just because they took your human life. You think that the devil stopped you? Did the devil stop Jesus? We keep judging if we're doing or not doing by our situations and about our comfort and about if it's easy or about if our bank account is filled, then we must be doing the right things. And if it's low, we must not be trusting God enough. It doesn't, none of that matters. 
You may even lose your human life. And Jesus tells us, don't worry about those that can take your human life. But fear, basically paraphrasing, fear God who is going to judge that soul that's within that human body. Amen. Is anybody getting anything out of this today? And here's the key. It's so simple. Everybody say it's so simple. The whole gospel can be summed up in one word. Believing or faith. It's really as simple as it gets. The entire Bible is one big story. <laughs> I mean, from Genesis to Revelation of either people that believe God or people that don't. You believe him, he takes care of you. And many of them go to the hall of faith. The first hall of faith we love because it talks about Abraham. It talks about Moses. The second hall of faith nobody ever reads or preaches on. It talks about people being sawed in half. Within the same exact hall of faith. Come on. Isn't it true, church? Come on, it's true, and you know it. But they believed God and would not bow. They would not let their flesh, let their soul man, let their human man, they would not let this world control them. They would not be influenced by their circumstance or what they saw or what they felt, but they chose to hold on to God even to the very last breath. And that is what God is trying to get in us today, that we must believe him with every ounce within us. And if you don't think you can do that, you're right. You need to begin to seek him today for a new heart. You need to begin to seek him to take the things of this world out of your heart. That's the issue. There are thorns and briars choking out the seed. The word of God was sown faithfully, and it got in there. And the, uh, the things that are holding you back is because this world, it says, chokes it out. It chokes it. If God had a lock, then faith is the key. Faith is it. It's through our faith that we receive anything. We can't earn anything but our salvation from sins. Our eternity with Jesus is accessed through our faith. Not only our salvation, which is the foundation of our relationship with God, but also the promises of God come through our faith. Faith has been so thrown around. It's been so thrown around that I think as Christians, we don't know what faith is. We must not have faith in faith. That's the mind over matter thing. You must have faith in God. See, if we have faith in our faith, then we're going to judge how well we're doing. Then we have a gauge. Let's look at my faith. Is it doing well or is it doing, is it doing good? Is it doing bad? You have no idea what your life is on this earth for. Has, anybody, has God shown anybody in clarity yet? I wouldn't mind talking to you if he has. It says we see in part. We know in part. We look through shaded glass. Even the devil, who is not God, but he, in, his, in, in spirit, is greater than your human mind. He's not greater than your spirit mind, but he, he knows things we don't know in our human mind. We sit above him in Christ, amen? But even he was confused at what was happening on the cross. Even those, the, uh, a somewhat of an eternal being, we don't know where all the, the angels and Satan, we don't know, you know what time God made them and, and so on, but... But they looked and, and didn't understand it. They didn't understand it, what was happening. In the same way, you must just be obedient to the Lord. We must crave. We must crave 
like David again, who says in the Psalms, he, in, in many different words, he craved God to chastise him, to get him to a place where he was obedient to him. Even Jesus went into the garden and had a conversation with God. Three times he prayed, and he says, not my will, but your will be done. And that's where the power of God comes through. The power of God will come through you when we just believe him, no matter what we think, no matter what we feel, no matter what we're afraid of, no matter what it looks like, no matter what the world says, we must come to the place where we just believe God. We have ultimate faith in God. I really believe that God, he helps us in that. Jesus encouraged the disciples and many along the way to have faith. God doesn't just say, you must have faith, and then leaves you and says, let's just see, do you believe or don't you believe? <laughs> God doesn't do that. God literally gave us this incredible, beautiful world. He, ins he says that the world is without excuse. That's just, I'm talking, that's just base. This is base faith. This is just to believe if he exists or not. But he gave us no excuse, it says. There is no excuse when you see a baby born to know, okay, there must be a creator. And there can't be, this just can't be, there's got to be God. He says there is no excuse for the world. It's already been stated. And uh, that base level, what the Lord does is just like he gave us things to show us, okay, I, I exist, just look at space. Look at, the, look at the stars, look at this earth, and look at uh, the things that I made, and you'll know that I exist. In the same way, Jesus took his disciples on a journey, and he kept encouraging them and kept showing them more and more and more of himself. And that's why I think the Lord turns to them sometimes, not frustrated or angry because he's God. I don't know how to describe it. He's not, he, or maybe just straight. I don't know what the word is, but it can almost appear he's a little frustrated with his disciples and says, why don't you have faith yet? Because he's been showing them and showing them and showing them. And as Christians, especially Christians today, God has done so much for us. I, I know that if Jesus came into this church today, he would say it with love in his eyes, but he would say, why don't you have faith yet? Look at your life. Look what I've done. Look at all the things I've given you. You still aren't giving what I've asked you to give Look what I've given you. You start doing the things that I've asked you to do, but look what I've done for you. I know that that's what Jesus would say today. He would say it with love. He would say it with grace. He would say it with mercy. But he would encourage us. It wouldn't be uh, to condemn us. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but it would be to encourage us to grow our faith. And so what begins to happen is, is that we have uh, a little tiny, tiny, tiny spark of faith, right? So many people have said yes to Christ by saying, I don't even know if you are real, but if you are real, show yourself to me. And God began to answer even that prayer. Even the tiny, tiny little mustard seed of faith had power, didn't it? And then what begins to happen? What begins to happen is then you trust God. God starts to show himself strong for you. And then the devil comes and he does some things in your life and we get a little confused. We don't know what's going on. And it's a chance for now the things that he started to show us about himself early on. We have to look back and say, okay, I choose to believe what you did for me in that moment instead of this circumstance. And we conquer it and we come through it. And then the next th circumstances begin to happen and things begin to come around our life. And, the, and it's not God doing it. It's the devil doing it. It's this fallen world. And we have to then look back to the last time that God was faithful with us. And what begins to happen is a faith begins to increase. And what begins to happen is we get to a place, uh, we need to get to that place where we don't even look at the circumstances anymore. That's that journey where that flesh, he was dying, he was dying, or she was dying, she was dying. She tried to rise up, she tried to control the situation again, but she died and finally came to the place where there's no more you, it's just Christ. Would everybody be okay if we read one more thing? How is everybody doing? How's oh, a long time? Sometimes it gets to be too much. I really wanted to read one more thing, so I think I'll preach on it. I'll continue to preach on it next time, but I just wanted to read something. I just wanted to read something quickly. Um, I had a few things I wanted to get into, and I'll continue to get into them.
But let's just look at Hebrews chapter 3. Is everybody all right? Come on, the Lord's, Lord is speaking today. The Lord's dealing with us. And I uh, encourage you to go home and you can listen to the podcast at some point this week. And maybe there's some things in there that it's tough to get in this room, but the Lord will speak to you during the week from that. I know he's, he's here with us today. But just quickly, if, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And I started to I open this up because I was thinking about Jesus in the temptation of the 40 days. And I was thinking about the children of Israel in their 40 years, but they went into the to spy out the land for 40 days. And this thing that must happen, this thing that must happen in all of us, every single Christian will be tested and tried in this. And, it's, and we'll get more into it, but just quickly, we must get to a place and God will take us into that place where we either choose to turn back and go back, just go back to your old life. You can struggle and try to bring as much of the world in. That's what they did. All they craved was they craved for meat. Remember when they said, the man is not good enough, I want meat. You know what the meat was? It literally tells us. It says that they craved the meat of Egypt. Not just meat in general, but they had a taste for it. They wanted their all. They wanted some. Okay, Lord, you. We want this new life in you. We want Christianity. We want the Holy Spirit. We want all the power. We want all the good stuff. But we also want some of the things that we loved in the world. And every Christian must go through this. That he will test us in it. He doesn't do the situation to us, but he allows the situation to get us to the place where we say. I trust you, God. I just lean upon you, God. I don't want anything but you. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, uh, that was a super, super quick summary, uh, and I'll get more into it, but it says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, and I believe that this is not, people could say that this is a salvation moment. I disagree. I think that this is any time that he is speaking to you, to, to deal with things, to go to another level with him, right? It's time to go from sixth grade to seventh grade. It's time to deal with some things and start to become a stronger believer, to become a louder voice for my kingdom. And every single time he does that, there is the chance, like we started, for the rebellion and the stubbornness and the stiff-necked thing in us to rise up and to stand and God's weapon, his weapons are being pointed towards you, and you either let him deal with it, or you're going to be in some pain for a while because he loves you, because he cares so deeply for you. Just let him deal with it. But it says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. Verse 12 says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. The Amplified says, Therefore, beware, brethren, take care, lest there be in any one of you a wicked, unbelieving heart, which refuses to cleave to trust in and rely on him leading you to turn away and desert or stand aloof from the living God and that's exactly what happened in the wilderness that's exactly what Jesus was tried in and it's exactly what we would be tried in, but we're going to stand strong, right? Amen? So he warns us in verse 13, gives us a strategy. He says, so you must warn each other every day. This is proof that it's not just to speak to the unbeliever, but that this is a Christianity lifestyle. This is something that we must get day by day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God for if we are faithful to the end 
trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. See that? There's a spark of belief, and we must continue in faith because God wants to bring us to that place of power. It's not a place where you show off your abilities and show off your Christian gifts because nobody's impressed by that anyway. And even when Jesus did it, look it. They all saw it, and they still put them on the cross anyway. So that's not what it's for. But there is a place that we should be at as believers. Some will still crucify you, but you must walk as Christ did. It's still meant to be. It says, just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. When we, as Christians, live in this low place of foot in the world, foot in Christianity, and it, don't even look. Remember, this is lastly what I'm going to say. Remember that Jesus gives a parable, and he's like, hey, there was a guy who he begins to pray before the Lord, and he starts beating his chest. He's a tax collector. I know I'm a sinner. And he doesn't compare anything or anybody except himself. Then the other guy looks and says, well, I'm better than him. And so the first thing that you might say in your heart when I say foot in the world, foot in, you're looking at, you're thinking of all the Christians out there that live worldly. Don't even think about anybody else or anything else. You just, where has the Lord asked you to take your foot out of the world? And it could be so, 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 so far. You could look like super hyper Christian Christian. And yet God's still asking you to go deeper because that's what he does. Come on. There's a place that God has for us. And we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And there's always more. There's always taking your foot a little bit more out of that world, being coming right to even to the cross. Your soul is still arguing with God. Your soul is still looking for another way. Lord, is there another way? Is there another way? And we must keep saying, not my will, but your will be done right to the very end. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have spoken to us today. I just pray, Lord, that we would have soft, humble hearts, that all rebellion, all stubbornness, all stiff neck, Lord, every part of us, Lord, and it's an individual, personal, intimate thing, Lord, those things in us that have resisted you or have just, Lord, uh, uh, I like that word, played, Lord, thought of you as aloof, Lord, just took it casually. And didn't take the seriousness of God serious. Lord God, we thank you. Your word says you are holy, but we must be holy as you are holy. We must be set apart as you are set apart. Be like you, Lord, on this earth. We thank you, Lord, that you're going to help us do that, Holy Spirit, by your power in us so that it can come out of us in the name of Jesus. Amen.